You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 61 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here, as always, with my good buddy, Lee Fields. Lee, how are you? Hola. Hola, senor. Oh, the bilingual edition of the MXU podcast. <laughs> I like yes. it. See, I like it. All right. Well, I don't know how long I'll be able to interpret for you, but I want to see you or I want to hear you speak in Spanish as long as you possibly can. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> mi trabajo es muy difficult. <laughs> that lasted, it lasted about three words. Yeah, sorry. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I am really excited about the MXU live tour. Yeah, um, I have an update about okay. the tour. All right. Um, certain tickets are already almost sold out. So this is more of a public service announcement that if you're wanting to get a ticket for cities like Chicago and Dallas, they're selling like hotcakes. But in every city, the VIP tickets, they're limited. There's only like, some cities only have 30 yeah. VIP tickets. Yeah. And the after parties, they're all already almost sold out. So go get them before they're gone. Well, it's only been a couple of weeks since we announced the cities. And the response has been pretty amazing so far. Like overall, I mean, we're almost to the halfway point of all the tickets being gone. And we're still five months out. So yeah, it's awesome. It's crazy. But to your point, VIP tickets, which what does the VIP get you? It gets you a uh, limited edition tour hat. Limited edition tour hat. Let's be honest. Everybody wants an MXU hat, but it also gets you priority seating. So you get to sit basically up front in the center of the stereo image of the PA. It gets you into the room first to choose your seat. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what that's what I should have said. So you can yeah. you can choose where to sit. You can sit in the back house right corner of the room like you do at church and not hear anything really well. Or you, yep. you could be a smart person and sit right behind us and get a great stereo image of our mixes. You could stare at my butt and hear my mix. And let me tell you, that is definitely something you want to do. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder when I'm sitting in those stealth chairs at our events and people behind us, if I'm just showing just massive crack. I don't think you are, but nice shout out to Stealth Chair, by the way. Yeah. Stephen Knight, thank you for your support. If you guys don't have a Stealth Chair, I don't know what you're thinking. It's the best mixing chair there is. So It is. Yeah. So yeah, go get your VIP ticket so that you can pick your seat. And if you do get one and you're in the corner of the room talking to Stephen Aruda from Mike Rentals about buckets of microphones and you miss reserving your seat, well, that's your fault. Yeah. It's your own fault. By the way, are we going to give away a stealth chair this year? I think we should. Okay. We're giving away a lot of stuff. You guys, I'm telling you. We you, are. You are not going to want to miss these days. We're so excited. We're going to give away. We're giving away a Behringer Wing console this year. I love it. We're giving away so many things. We've got surprises in store. We've got special guests lined up. You're just, you're not. And plus, our master of ceremonies, let's be honest is going yes. to provide an experience that you will never forget. So get your tickets. Sign up for crying out loud. Get your tickets. 
Um, can we talk about gear for a second? Sure. I ordered three capsules from Steven yesterday to try this weekend okay. from MikeRentals.com. Okay. Because I'm sick of the SEV7. There, I said it. Okay. So we talked about this before in yeah. that they sound, sometimes those V7s sound like they're just crapping out a little bit, like you're having to squeeze. Yeah. Chris had the best description. He said, Chris Raybold said, he feels like they stop. Yeah. They stop working. Not that they turn off, but like it, it stops doing what it was doing. Yeah. It's weird. It reaches a limit. Like you're trying to squeeze 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. It's just. So I'm concerned about their shelf life. Yeah. And we know, like we got four of them at Christmas, brand new ones. Uh-huh. And they sounded different than each other. Really? It's not good. Okay. Well, what are you getting? Uh, three Neumann 105s. Nice. That's to test out. So I don't want to go back to the condenser, but we put the drums 10 feet further upstage than they were. So I want to try it again. Cool. So I'm looking forward to that this weekend. We're going to try that. And then uh, I woke up this morning and looked at Instagram because that's what you do when you wake up. And Raybold had said in a Insta story, the SM58 is once again, my favorite vocal mic. I can't argue with that, honestly. No, I think he said beta, but both of them. But still, I know I, it's old faithful to me. It's like it's reliable, it's time tested, it sounds good on almost anybody. It's a it's a just go to workhorse. I've always totally. been a fan, and for the money, you can't beat it. No, I know. Like these Neumann capsules, I I'm trying out. They're expensive. They're I think they're nine hundred bucks. Oh my gosh. So the beta 58 is like, what is it? 140, 150 dollars. Yeah, you could buy six of those for the price of one. No, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, um, today, this episode, our guest, this is pretty special. So we've got Robert Scoville back, which you're going to hear from in just a minute. But we have a special guest with him from Avid, a Pro Tools product expert. Yes. So I think this is the final chapter in the great debate of DAWs versus consoles. And I am, I've 80% made up my mind on what I think. And I've changed from the beginning of this when I said, I think this is freaking crazy and no one should do it to there are scenarios where I think it's okay, but you need some contingencies and you got to be aware of some things. Yeah. So we're going to discuss those limitations yep. today and what you need to be on the lookout for best practices, what to do, what not to do, how to be thinking about what you need to think about when considering mixing through a DAW for live. That's right. So, so once this interview is over, we're going to wrap up with Jeff and I's final thoughts for eternity, write it in stone. <laughs> what we think about DEWs and consoles. So stick around till after the interview to hear that. All right, everybody, here we go. It's the uh, final round of the great debate of DAWs and consoles. And I believe this is the headlining conversation with the guests that we have today. But we finally found the right context for a conversation that's actually going to be helpful, which is great. We do. And we have 
Um, your favorite guest, but the word guest is up for debate, I guess. Robert Scoville is back with us for the 61st time on the 61st episode <laughs> of the MXU podcast. I Look, I'm just going to say up front, this is not the last time we're going to have this conversation. If you That's think true. we're going to close this conversation down today, you are crazy. That is very true. And um, I think you're working your way into co-host territory of this podcast. I would think so. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll just keep the guest title if you just cut me in on the proceeds and we'll just oh, call it even. You know what? Not a problem. We'll give you actually half of all the sponsorship dollars we've made up until now. <laughs> I mean, Which, I'm all about less responsibility with more pay. That's what I want yeah. in my life. So, Well... 50% of nothing is. <laughs> so you've seen my tax return for 2020. I see. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. But also we have an expert for the other side of the conversation. Robert, you work with Tony. Why don't you introduce him for us? Yeah. I I, I thought it would be great to bring Tony in here. He's uh, one of our product specialists on the Pro Tools side. And you know he con- he is constantly in touch with customers and helping them on their workflows for you know, S6 tactile surfaces in charge of Pro Tools, Atmos recording and play, you know, post work, you know, broadcast post work, you know, so using, honestly, using a DAW as a mixing environment, truly mixing in the box. That's the man for that. So he, he's the guy for that. It's going to be great to, Thank you, to kind of bounce things off of. It's going to be great. Happy to be here. Tony Joy is his name for those of you who didn't catch it. And we're just thrilled that both of you are with us today. So this whole conversation started with this sort of fundamental question. A lot of our listeners and a lot of our audience um, are from churches, and there's this sort of two-sided coin. One is creating a great front-of-house mix through a PA for a live audience, Uh, but then also, particularly during COVID and other circumstances that we've all had to deal with, Um, creating a good broadcast mix for online and for audiences that aren't live in the room. And so, um, gosh, I don't even remember how long ago it was, Lee, that somebody made the point that their opinion that they stated as fact was that the only way to get a good broadcast mix was to mix it live through a DAW, like Pro Tools, in a controlled studio environment. Well, we have a lot of friends who have a really good broadcast mix that's just a feed from their front of house desk. And so it started this debate about, you know, DAW versus console, uh, but also the argument about statements that have those absolutes, like the only way to do this is to always do this or never do this. And that's what that's where it gets dangerous. So, you know, I think the the, the big question for today is, can you do things certain ways versus should you do things certain ways? And if we if we frame the conversation around that, we can talk about the pluses and minuses of both uh, because there are advantages to thinking about how we process our mixes in different ways. So this is going to be a great conversation, and we're thrilled that both of you guys are here. So Cool. Sounds, sounds juicy. Okay, so to kick us off, since we've got both of you here, let's... Let's agree on some simple terms, right? So when we say DAW, we're digital audio workstation, that could also mean my Yamaha PM10 or my SXL, right? It's a computer 
and it's processing audio just like my MacBook Pro is. So mm-hmm. just break it down like bare bones for us, what we're talking about, the differences in DAW and consoles and those architectures. <sighs> Who wants to go first? Should we flip a coin, Tony? <laughs> Uh, I'll take the Pro Tools side first. You know, at least as a user who has worked with Pro Tools for almost 20 years now, the way I approach DAWs is that something more like a tape machine that where I can edit, right? The editing functionality is what makes a DAW a DAW for me, right? Micro edits, I can drag and move a wave file and align the face, right? Make trims, make complex edits. If I'm doing sound design or if I'm writing music, to be able to use MIDI data, virtual instruments, all that stuff in a music perspective is what makes a digital audio workstation for me. When it, when I personally think about it as a console, again, this is more a personal opinion because I'm more from the DAW side. Uh, Robert can talk to about the life aspect of it. For me, a console is mostly more, more than often real-time mixing the feeds that's coming in. I am not editing what is coming in. I'm not pitch correcting. Well, now we can. Technology is moving faster, but at least in a traditional sense, I am actually blending, mixing. I am creating art real time as it is being made. That's the way I would put it. You want me to go now? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, Tony. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like that. And I tend to agree with you there. I, I think from my perspective, the dividing line for me where I, where I can say something like, okay, there is a live sound console and then there's a DAW. Where those two worlds don't intersect for me is the computer itself. You know, in the DAW world, I can't think of another DAW world where this isn't the case. The computing pro- computer processing that's being used there is a consumer product. It's not designed to do that. We are using a consumer product to create a DAW, right? In the live sound world, PM10, Digico, Avid, all of it, those are purpose-built computers for that function, right? They are not consumer products. That's why you don't see a live sound console running Mac OS. That's why right. my PM10 right? won't give me a Facebook notification that someone is trolling <laughs> my post. It's coming. That part's coming. <laughs> we oh, are going to have social media on consoles, rest assured. It's going to happen. I predicted it 10 years ago. It's coming. You, you're serious about that, so, uh, a little rabbit trail. I'm totally here. serious about that, yeah. <laughs> but, well, that's another but, episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. That'll be Robert episode 12. Yeah. <laughs> In Digico now, I can chat with my monitor engineer via a chat function that's built into the network between the consoles. And so yeah. it, you know, we joke about it, but it actually is a pretty good, uh, not just communication tool, but can be a pretty good time waster too. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I did a, uh, a blog on this. Honestly, it was probably 10, maybe 12 years ago now about, you know, having your, your console integrated to your audience via the internet or social media. And, you know, you get a bunch of likes on your bass drum sound. You get a bunch of thumbs up or thumbs down on your snare drum sound. You know, you can oh see it right on the console. Oh my gosh. Right? So, you know, have people chiming in, you know. So, you know, it's just a thought. Oh, just a boy. Thought. Can you imagine seeing that on your master bus? You know, 427 thumbs up, 3,427 <laughs> thumbs down. I'm in favor of the angry face going away. That's, I, I'm now in favor. <laughs> Oh. 
But you kind of get what I'm saying yeah. there. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, we're talking about two purpose-built products, and it's not to necessarily invalidate one, but it is to revalidate one to say one is built for the purpose that you're using it, you know, so specifically for the purpose you're using it. That's a really good point. Yeah, okay. So, you know, unlike most of our interviews, you know, we're we're usually just having a conversation, but because we wanted to cover so much, like we've actually got prepared a bit of notes that we want to cover to give both sides a fair shot here. But I'm just looking down the list here. Um, I was going to say, Lee, you know, maybe a, a way to think about this, because we're going to have to narrow this down a little bit, or this conversation is going to go three or four hours. Yeah. You know, let, let's be kind of specific, if we can, about the workflow that is being talked about with the DAW. I mean, are they talking about mixing front of house monitors, front of house and monitors, broadcasts? It's, it's a little bit of both. So it it came up because of it's been a broadcast. That's where it came from. The debate arose there. But then you start to ask the question, well, would you use a DAW at front of house? Like I said it in jest to go like, well, of course you wouldn't use it at front of house. Why would you use it at broadcast mixing for 10x the amount of people? But the replies were astonishing to me. It was about 25% of the people I put a poll out said, yeah, I'd mix front of house at a live event with uh, my MacBook Pro and Pro Tools. And I was like stunned. But, you know, see, we got to tunnel down on that statement right there. It's like, okay, MacBook Pro and Pro Tools. Well, what's your I.O.? Right. I mean, we're not talking about post here where it's already captured and you're going to mix it down to a two bus. We're talking about having 96 inputs live yep. into your MacBook Pro now. Right. Right? Right. I mean, just from a sheer cost alone, it's like, well, now you're you're on par with a digital console Yeah, now, totally. Right? right. I think, you know, it's the sentiment of Pro Tools is reliable enough for me to send two, three, f- stretch it to four dozen channels through it and me not be worried about stability. I think that's yeah, what yeah. they're saying. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and, yeah, go ahead, Tony. Oh, no, I was about to say, so yeah, as Robert said, IO is one aspect of adding to Pro Tools. And as someone who has, you know, I built a few post-production facilities in my previous life, so to speak. One of the things that people don't take into consider- consideration is clocking, right? When you build that many IOs, you need to make sure everything's clocked right. And two, again, don't get me wrong, these are amazing devices that we build, but they're not designed for the road. Right. Right. So if it's installation, yes, then maybe they can wing it. But even then, there are things like fan noise, thermal considerations. You know, you expect these devices to live in a pretty much, not a deep freezer, but you get the idea, highly controlled environment. Whereas, as Robert said earlier, a live console is designed with all these specs in mind, extreme humidity, thermal considerations, even electrical swings, right? So yes, can you take a sports car to an icy mountain? Yes, you can. Should you? A different question. That's interesting. I I keep coming back to, and I know it just from working around in my crazy office here, you know, let's take that MacBook Pro thing as the example. I don't care whether it's eight inputs or 96 inputs. It's the entire show resting on a Thunderbolt cable. Exactly. Right? Yes. I mean, there's something about me just as an old audio guy now that I look at that and the hair on my neck stands up. The hair on every how, how many hair times, on my body stands up. I mean, how many times have you accidentally unplugged that 
thing. And it's not like, oh, I unplugged it. Let me plug it back in. Start over. Right. Right. So it, it's, you know, it's just not nimble in those regards. Now, if you're brave enough, you're young enough, say, I don't care, man, let's go. More power to you. But, you know, as a responsible, oh gosh, I'm going to sound really old and gray haired here. As a responsible audio engineer, I cannot put the event at that kind of risk sitting on that connector. I just can't do it. I'm with you. No matter how much better I can make it sound at a DAW, when there's no noise coming out of the PA, it does not sound better. Yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the the power thing, Tony, you mentioned, um, I didn't realize this, the console is made for changes in electrical current. Like, it's set up for that. Yes. That's interesting. Can you talk about that? Like, what that is? Well, I'll give you S6 as an example, right? All the components of S6 have N plus one power supply redundancy, right? So you could set up primary power into one power supply, uh, you know, PSU power into the second power supply. And if one goes down during the event, pull the third one out and put it in another place, you know? So, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, all kinds of redundancy built into these systems that are just simply not going to be built in. I mean, you kind of have to force yourself to build those in to a DAW environment that's even going to go into broadcast. Like that becomes part of the integrator's job. If we're going to have S6 and a bunch of IO working, mixing for CBS, well, what's the redundancy scheme? Right. Right. And we've seen, you know, I think maybe it was you, Robert, that mentioned this. There are guys mixing the Grammys on um, in Pro Tools Live to national television. So what types of redundancies are they using in those scenarios, Tony? Okay, so that that's the uh, two uh, reasoning for this conversation, right? So yes, there are people mixing on Pro Tools. So Grammys and Oscars are two main events that I believe are using Pro Tools. Again, I cannot speak to them personally because I haven't mixed them personally yet, at least. Uh, but there's uh, the Jazz Center, the, the Jazz at Lincoln Center, New York, who are actually using an S6 and a Matrix with their existing Millennia and Grace Priest to broadcast live shows. So they're mixing on S6, but the, what they're actually doing is, from what I understand, they actually use Auxus to mix in Pro Tools. So they're not using it as a recorder at that point, right? So the redundancy is that, again, Pro Tools and Matrix. So Matrix is now the big glue in the DAW side of the industry, meaning you know it's a very powerful and complex, but extremely powerful interface. And it is also made by the NTP who actually makes broadcast level gear. Point being, that's a very robust piece of gear. You can rely on it. So that with Pro Tools in an aux-only mode allows them to do those shows live. And the only, not, not even the weak point, like Robert said, SXL has redundant power supplies and all that. A normal S6, on the other hand, is meant for a studio. It does not have that redundancy built into it. So that would be the weakest element. But in the worst case scenario of S6 crashes, then the engineer can still use a mouse and keyboard to keep the mix going until it powers back up. And from what I understand, they have done thousands of shows this way. So yes, people are doing it. But like I said, that is a very controlled environment. And it's also a very predictable environment. They know exactly how it's going to go every single time. Yeah. And if Pro Tools crashes in their scenario, is there a backup computer also in input mode or aux mode passing audio somewhere? 
Not that I know about. Okay. No. And it has not crashed yet. So <laughs> I, I think they do. I, I'm going to speak a little bit of my pay grade here because I, I don't know this for sure. I, I should check in with the guys that do the Grammys now because I haven't been in that world for a little while now. But at one point, they had two complete systems online and they would use one system to prep an upcoming event or, or an upcoming band and mix live on the other one. Right. And this was also a failover. If this failed, then they could always go to that backup system and carry on mixing if they had to do it, right? I believe that's the way it, yeah. it was done. Now, I, since then, I, I, I'm not sure what they're mixing uh, the Grammys on these days. I should check in. I, it would be worth seeing it. I would think even in that scenario, you know, Pat Baltzell at front of house is sending a pair to the truck. If the whole thing went down, they could, guarantee they could pull his front of house lines in, analog even. Yeah, guarantee yeah. it. Because dead air is the death, right? There, right. Dead air is death, you know. So you've got you got to have audio from somewhere. You know, bad sounding, mediocre sounding audio is better than dead air, right? Right. And that was something I would, you know, we had said to some churches was like, hey, if you want to mix to broadcast to thousands of people off your MacBook Pro and it's less than thirty two channels or whatever their their simple setup was, at least have an analog pair from front of house somewhere hitting your video embedders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would have it at video. They're going to take your audio, your broadcast audio, and, and put it with the stream anyway. Why not just give them front of house mix and let them put that with the stream, the live stream, if they need to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just did this in Pennsylvania at, at Penn State here a couple of weeks ago. We did this very thing, you know. So. Awesome. Okay, so what about latency and ADC, <laughs> automatic delay compensation? You really want to go there? I want to go there. We're going in. <laughs> We're going in deep. Well, um, you know, I've been on this crusade, so, uh, but you know, I mean, that said, and certainly in Pro Tools land, you know, kind of the king of ADC, they've been doing it the longest of anybody, you know, it's much, it's very capable of handling that, you know, honestly, to some degree, a little more capable than the live sound consoles, even S6L now that has ADC, in that DAW environment, it's 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 comprehensive, right? I mean, it, it can handle just about anything you throw at it. But that said, the thing you always have to remember there, right, is that it, that's a shifting throughput now. Right. As you start adding more plugins, as you add longer and longer plugins, the actual throughput changes now. So you could be messing with sync, all kinds of things that go on there, right? So uh, you got to be aware of it, man. I mean, it is that hidden devil that you've got to know about where it can really trip you up well especially if you're trying to synchronize to picture in yeah, real time that's my point yeah, yeah you've got an online audience that's watching the video feed of the band and all of a sudden you know you focus on the snare drum and the timing of that hit changes over time based on what the engineer is doing and how the master bus is being processed and individual channels are being processed and all those kind of things. So come it's, on, we've we've all seen that mix. How come I hear this the kick drum every time he hits the snare drum? What's going on there? I can't figure this out. Uh huh. That comes even more into play if you are doing if one person is doing both the front of house and the in ear mixes for the artist because they will get so much latency, it won't be funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's where I was going to go next. Is like okay, well, you know, in its best case. We can do that in broadcast. Once you start to put this at front of house and monitors, now you've got a whole different world. Because keep in mind, remember, part of the reason that we can keep latency so low in digital consoles, right, is that everything is done in DSP. Mm-hmm. That, that was part of the secret of Pro Tools 
for so many years, and, and really still is its strength to some degree, is that you can use it for tracking. And that's because the process, process is happening in DSP. But now that we've moved to native processing, right, that concept of latency is back in play where, you know, you're listening and hearing it, listening and hearing it, you know, that that will not work for live sound. You know, you've got to get down to very low. I mean, the lowest latency you possible is what you want in live sound, let alone if you're at a front of house position and you're instantiating lots of plugins and your throughput's changing, you're changing your system alignment potentially now. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, and a 0.1 millisecond change can change a whole lot when you're talking about impulse response, time alignment, and things like that. That's it's massive. You bet. You know, you might you, you might it, not see a half a frame in video, you know, but you know that 15 milliseconds and that half a frame in your PA is enormous. Is enormous. You you might end up with the music coming off the stage before the PA. Right. Okay. Um, another issue and. I know some DAWs are doing this now, and you can do this in input mode or in throughput, but runtime automation, scenes, you know, are we close to that actually being a possibility for people wanting to use DAWs live? I'm going to jump on this one first, Tony, but I definitely want you to chime in on this as well. Uh, You know, this really kind of goes back to the very first part of the conversation where I was kind of saying, what is the workflow we're trying to do, right? Because there is actually a great case to be made. That if you're going to have runtime automation happening anywhere, it's in the broadcast setup. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Where right. you might be, you know, where you might do a live event, right? Live to air, but you're going to rebroadcast. So you want to come back in and maybe do some edits. You were late on that vocal mic, whatever. Well, if we, you know, if you're in snapshot automation, you have two choices, right? You're going to have to go in and <laughs> redo the whole show. Or you're going to go back to like we used to do in the studio and you're going to print a two-track of your mix and then go in and punch in with the repair. You're going to go recall the snapshot at the event for the song where you messed up. Hopefully, it's going to go back to where it was where you were. You're going to run up to that point and punch in on the two-track and fix the vocal, right? So you can do that without runtime, but it's much better if you do that in runtime. Now you're just going in and fixing it the code is already there. You're going to be, you know, hopefully be locked to video, et cetera. So there's a great argument to be made for runtime being part of the broadcast workflow. Totally. Doesn't necessarily have to be part of the front house workflow, but in broadcast, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because, you know, the thing you want to, and this really kind of separates some of the DAWs too, you know, you would want to make sure and know this. Pro Tools was one of the very first DAWs that allowed you to record all of your faders, mutes, plug-in moves, et cetera, right. along with audio in the initial pass, right. in an absolute pass, right? Because that's what you would want to do. You know, When you're broadcasting live, you say, hey, man, capture everything I'm doing plus audio. Right. And then when we come back for replay, oh, I was late on that fader move. All I got to do is go back and fix the fader move and either punch in or now bounce the entire mix. Yeah, I liked... Um Tony's definition of DAW being you have to be able to edit and manipulate that audio. And that's what the, the differentiator is there. Yeah. Well, that, that's the first thing it ever did. Remember, we had the ability to edit and do all the processing before we ever started, quote unquote, mixing in the box. Right. Right. Yeah. That's I mean, true. you know, once, once a tactile surface became available for Pro Tools and we started actually thinking like, 
well, hang on a minute. This is I'm going to use it as the mixer now, not just the recorder with plugins. Yeah. Okay, let's circle back to that. So, Tony, talk to us about DAWs and their capacity to do snapshots or scene changes in input mode. So, as Robert said, right, I agree with him. You know, again, the live sound console has that specific, uh, what's the right word, feature built into it. Can you do something similar in Pro Tools? Yes, but is it as seamless? Actually, it is not. Having said that, I believe it is the uh, today's show on NBC where they would actually use the same workflow where they would capture all the automation during what something that is similar to a virtual sound check, but they're not capturing any audio. And for the show, they would again go input monitoring and then have that run. But is it as seamless as the SXL? It is not. So that's where it is. And again, as for the future, I don't know what holds for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a nuanced difference here, but it's an important difference in that concept of snapshot versus runtime. Because I, I, I'll give you the Grammys as the example, you know, where it's not one show, one act you're mixing, it's multiple acts, right? So in that situation, you, you almost eliminate the, the concept of, okay, there might be some changes that I make at the top of the show that I need to ripple through the rest of the show almost doesn't apply there because you're going to go from act to act to act to act. There's nothing common to them anyway, right? You follow me yep. there? Yeah. So in that situation, you can kind of get away with runtime. You can say, okay, I'm going to record my settings. I'm going to put the DAW in record to record all my positional data on all my controls and do my song. Maybe I, if I do it recorded in runtime, doesn't matter at that point. I'm going to mix it live. Get to the next act. Put simply into record or put the DAW into record again, record all my new settings for the next act, right? Mix the, have it recall it, mix the event. You following me there? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Snapshot is not that yeah, way at yeah. all, really, even though it's similar, right? Snapshot is right. where it really makes its bones is when we're doing a long event with one act, right? Because we have the ability to propagate, we have the ability to update all kinds of things, right? We could say, Oh my gosh, that mic has changed. Okay, let me make that change to the preamp. Now I'm going to ripple that into all of my snapshots going forward for the mm-hmm. same end. Right? That's very difficult to do in runtime automation, you know. Yep. And that's what you just described. That's what uh some manufacturers avid calls propagating. Yeah, propagating or updating. Yeah, it's propagate just means to to ripple it through a number of places, number of destinations, right? Yep. Got it. We don't call it propagate anymore, by the way. We call it update now. Oh, good. I remember propagate on the uh, (laughs) D show. Hey, I'll have you know, do you know how many shout outs I've given the uh, profile surface in the last few months? Have you counted them? It's been a lot. It's been about about as many times as you've been on this podcast. Oh, my! it can't be that many. Come on. (laughs) It kind of has. Lee and I were having a conversation (laughs) about it, and we're just reminiscing about how much we both love that control surface it's just the the ergonomics and the layout and the just i don't know it was it was such a great experience so okay let's keep running down the list here um situational io this applies to both broadcast to to pas to everything yeah well i i think it applies more to PA work, at least in my thinking of this context here. I mean, think about things like 
I mean, think about, I'll just use SXL as the example here, where, okay, on a, on a digital console, I got 96 auxiliaries available to me. Mm-hmm. I got 24, 24 source matrices available to me. Yeah. Do I have that available in, in Pro Tools IO? You know, or in Pro Tools capability out right. to a, another IO? You know, I mean, you're going to have to build all of that in, you know? Yep. And now you're talking about some huge demand on resources of your computer, you know? Right. We're not talking about just simple demands anymore. So that, yeah. that's kind of what I'm getting at. You know, I mean, we, we think about how often you use matrices to drive a PA system. Right. Of course. Right. Yep. I mean, we could do some, you know, Tony mentioned, <laughs> and, and maybe we should, uh, we should contextualize this when he was talking earlier about matrix. That's actually a product. That's an avid right. product. If you guys don't know this, it's called MTRX, right? Which is this big uh, matrixing unit that you can uh, you can attach to Pro Tools now. Super powerful <laughs> box. So you know, in that regard, yeah, you could do things like that there. But it's still, I mean, you got to have the physical inputs and outputs to be able to support it, right? Yep. Okay, we've been talking a lot about differences. Let's talk about the ways that DEWs and consoles are actually similar. Because somewhere along this journey of a month or two back, I thought, you know, it's actually that live consoles are becoming more like DAWs in some way, but DAWs are actually becoming more like live consoles in some ways too. It feels like there's an intersection happening other than, like you you stated, great, Robert, the platform that's built on one is for consumers and the, and the other one it isn't. But all the other features feels like they're headed for a head-on collision in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just to be clear, you know, S6 in charge of Pro Tools on a on a Mac computer is a professional product. Without question, it was designed for Pro use. But the core of that, meaning the Macintosh itself, that's the consumer product. Right. Right. In S6, we have the RTX engine, right? That is our mixing engine. That yep. is not a consumer product. That is specifically built to do the job with that control surface and I.O. Right, but relying on a Mac Pro to drive what parts of the DAW, I guess. That's actually another question. It's the mix engine. Okay. Right? All of the processing, all the internal processing is taking place in a Mac for Pro Tools. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that's not the only thing that Mac is doing when it comes to S6L. That engine is doing just that. Right, so there's a big difference there. And to answer Lee's question, if I may, yes, there's been lots of changes happening in both directions, as you said. And I would say that comes from an artist-driven drive. For example, a singer-songwriter who works, records, tracks, mixes in Pro Tools want to get the same sound when they perform on stage. And this has been a long time in the making. And at companies like, you know, we at Avid, specifically have had DSP plugins, you know, so if you you have the same, more or less the same amount of plugins for DSP AAX in Pro Tools that can be used in S6L2. So this has been happening over the years and Robert can speak more to this, but the fact remains, you know, all of these solutions, these are technological tools, but at the end of the day, it's about how do I make music or spoken word or any other audio performance sound the best? Well, that was what was so groundbreaking about D-Show to begin with, to me, was that I could use the same plugins that I used in the studio for live. And so that, to me, is where that 
sort of intersection started, it was, oh my gosh, I've got access to all these tools that I love from mixing in the studio that now I can apply to my live band on stage. It's a game changer. Yeah. 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 We, I mean, we definitely made the attempt to really unify that workflow. And, you know, we, we, we kind of tipped our toe into the water with S3L. I don't know if you guys know this or remember this. Yeah. But it was the first live sound console where the surface could be used as a controller for the E3 engine for your live sound thing. Then you could flip it over and have it be the control surface for Pro Tools. Yep. Right? I mean, it was the first time we ever did that sort of thing. So in that situation, you had the best of both worlds. You could use E3 for your live event, snapshot automation, perfectly suited for that. Okay, we're going to post now. Let's get into Pro Tools. We'll mix it in post now, and I'll use the same service. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think we will go there someday. I, I really think that merge will happen someday. Yeah. We we looked into it with S6L and backed off for some uh, capacity reasons within the mix surface and control of Pro Tools. You know, there was some places where it was like, I don't really want to sacrifice what we're doing in the live sound just to get that yet. We're sure. not quite there yet, but I think there's a great argument. I mean, a really legitimate argument to be able to say, well, I should be able to choose on my live sound console, whether I'm in charge of the mix engine, whether I'm using runtime with the mix engine or snapshot with the mix engine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we're in post. Maybe I want to go in and take control of the DAW with a certain amount of faders on the console. I can see tons of options where you would want to do that. Think about this example. I'll give you this example if, where you could do some sort of hybrid in a live sound console. And you tell me whether you wouldn't like to do this. How many times have you guys had play, Pro Tools playback on stage? Maybe it's playing back multi-track. Maybe it's playing back stems to your console. Everybody's hand up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Why not on your console have a set of faders that are actually in charge of the Pro Tools mix engine that is on stage? That'd be amazing. Right? So you don't have to say yep. to the guy, hey, go in and adjust this blend. Oh my gosh. Well, why, not, why can't I just life. do that on the console? Yes, please. Right? Yeah. These, these faders over here, those are my mix engine faders. These faders over here, those are actually Pro Tools faders in that device that is sitting on stage. And if that control protocol was open, you could do that if it was Ableton or anything else potentially. Well, I mean, you you could kind of do that now if you could no, you know, yeah. technically do this changeover with uh, with Yukon, et cetera. You know, you could do it there. Yeah. That's I just want to awesome. add one more thing because uh, when Robert mentioned S3, one thing that came to my mind was S3 is one of my most favorite controllers for Pro Tools, right? And then it is one of the most expensive controllers we've made too compared to the current S1. And if you get a chance, you try holding both of them and getting a feel for it you will immediately realize S3 is built like a tank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, again, it was purpose-built for live sound first, Exactly. Right? So personally, I would feel much more comfortable taking S3 on the road with me when I do small live gigs compared to taking an S1 on the road. Don't mm. get me wrong. I love my S1s, but I know it is designed and built for my studio, and I'd rather leave it at home and not take it on the road. So sort of dis- divert from the specific question but i think the whole uh, core point here is that these two products can do very similar things but especially when it comes to hardware they are specifically designed and built and i cannot emphasize that enough yeah i I mean lee think about what you were just kind of clamoring for there thinking oh that'd be great well you could really essentially have that today 
right? Where you could have S6L sitting in front of you, S1, S3, S4 sitting right next to you that is actually in charge of the DAW on stage. Mm, okay. <laughs> bye bye, Yamaha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to be polite. I said, you could have this. <laughs> No, they're emailing me their new window controller <laughs> brochure right now. So, but that's the point, right? I mean, yeah. It, it, then it, all that happens has to happen at that point. I say all that has to happen, like it's simple, is that you just merge those two things, right? Yeah. At least they're still sitting in the same spot and they're controlled by one person right now. Now we just got to get it merged into one piece of hardware. Okay, let's talk about the one that everyone loves to talk about about this argument is the actual performance and the sonic quality coming from a DAW. So we hear, oh, we do this because it's the only way we can get it to sound good. And we exchanged a text message yesterday, Robert, that I thought was awesome. Or maybe it was in the email, actually. Um, and it was... <laughs> I know where you're going. Yeah. And I said, we need to at least ask this question, even though it's going to open up a can of worms for us. Can I quote, can I quote the email? Yeah. yeah go ahead. <laughs> oh, man. So the email was... Are there unique factors in a DAW or console that make one or the other sound better slash different than the other? And so Robert says, or sorry, someone says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cat's out of the bag now. You're going to have yeah, to edit will that. My Pro, will my Pro Tools HD system sound better than my X32? Well, you bet your ass it will. It will also cost, conservatively, about five times as much to accumulate the same amount of I.O. and surface control. So that's, that's kind of the fundamental debate is, yeah, it'll sound better, but how practical is it and at what cost? And on and on and on. I mean, there's, you know, to Tony's point about touring, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to tour with I.O. that is, you know, esoteric, fragile, vintage I.O. designed to sit in a studio. You're going to need something that is built like a tank that you can throw on a truck that can withstand the rigors of tour well, life. Let me push back because we're talking about mostly broadcast mixing in churches. So they go, no, it's this is a controlled studio environment. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I think that's a legitimate argument. But here's maybe, maybe we need to back off this one little bit and refine this question a little bit. And and I'll put it back at you, Lee, since you've spoken to whoever this was that said this. What do they believe is the source of the sound quality improvement? Yeah. This won't be my opinion. This will be what I'm hearing because I agree with you. Yeah, because that's the crux of the argument here. It is. Because if, if you take I.O. out of the equation and you're mixing, if we're talking about just purely mixing in the DAW, yeah, you could get great quality there. But once we get I.O. involved, then there's a, it's a whole different argument, you know? There's a segment of the worship community in modern church that believe the only way to get the mix that's in their head or the mix that they know is possible is through Pro Tools because most of the people saying that, and I know I'm saying using general terms like most and some, but just go with me. The people that are saying that are mostly worship leaders and music directors who spend their time in Pro Tools learning how to mix. So my argument is, take a Yamaha TF, Allen & Heath, Avantis, S3, you know, something, not a $50,000 console, you know, something in that five to $10,000 range that you're going to go spend on monitors, laptop, I.O., plugins. If you spend the same amount of time learning to mix on one of those as you do in Pro Tools, 
I think that statement goes away. That opinion goes away. And it's, it's more about just the tools you're familiar with. But I, I, I'm, see, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and just say, I, yeah, but what is the source of the sound quality improvement? Is it the processing or is it the way you mix? It's the guy mixing. Yeah. But, okay, it's the guy mixing. So you're just saying he reacts to EQ different on the DAW than he does on, in front of another console? I don't think we've given it a fair shot. So I, I also see people online, whether they're selling templates or, or preaching from these soapboxes. I don't see these guys with experience in both platforms. Yeah. So they're well. That's that's a whole. I, I was going to go there, but I was saving it. <laughs> like they're espousing these opinions as facts when they have no real world experience in both and shouldn't even be opening their mouths to begin with. Is what I really think. Well, I, I keep coming back to though. At 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 some point, you have audio existing that you're mixing. What was the source of that audio? What was the source of the A to D conversion? What were the preamps that were used? Because yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this for years now. That's the, you want great sound, you got to have a great preamp, great A to D converter, et cetera. Well, what did they use to capture this audio that they can mix so much better in a DAW? Right. That's to say nothing of the performance itself. What is the, what is the source from the stage that's getting to the preamp or the microphone in the first place? It's like these guys assume so many things about the quality of a DAW in terms of its sort of output, but- Let's talk about the input first. Let's talk about the conversion. Let's talk about all the steps before it gets to the zeros and ones that are coming out of Pro Tools. But but I want to be clear here. I mean, you know, if we're talking about a broadcast situation where we can claim that the capture of that audio is really high quality, and then you're saying, but I can mix it in Pro Tools and make it sound better than I can with a, a, digi- a live digital console because of the processing or the routing or the ADC, the automatic delay compensation, et cetera, then those become legitimate things to me. I kind of go, okay, if you're going to make that claim, great. But just saying the DAW in and of itself on the surface sounds better than the live sound console, I say, I I ain't buying that. I I agree with you. And the part you did agree with would also apply if you did that same process to a live console is what I'm saying. You can get equal results with a live console as you can with a DAW, maybe not an X32. Yeah. You know, there, I think you're going to have limitations there, but at a certain point with quality equipment, albeit an $8,000 console or a $300,000 console, it's still possible. So when people say the only way to get the mix I want is with Pro Tools, that's where I have a problem. Yeah. I, and I'm I'm going to sound like the broken record here, but when someone says that to me, my response is going to be, well, what's the dividing line? What can you do in Pro Tools that sounds so much better that you can't do over here? Right. Tell me that, and I'll, I'll buy into your argument. Is it a processing? Is it a busing? Is it, what is it? You guys tell us, is there something different inherently about Pro Tools audio engine than what we get in live consoles? That might be a little above my pay grade in terms of the actual DSP architecture. I, Tony, you want to go there? I, I don't think I want to go there. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, th- now we're talking about what's happening within DSP mixing right. architecture between console to console to console. Now, I will say this. I, and I was, I was shocked when I experienced this because I, I took it as 
more of a constant than it was in, in the day in the run up to the you know during the conception phases of S6L we did some really really big studies on what makes consoles sound different right and the first place we started was at the preamp and the converter we did this really kind of heavyweight shootouts very laboratory controlled shootouts and then we were at the the plan was to have take all of that audio that we recorded and evaluated et cetera, and then examine mix buses and the mix architecture afterwards and we didn't get to complete it unfortunately but we we did get to complete it enough to the point where you just said wow man i mean the 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 long or the short end of the story is we were shocked at how close all of the consoles sounded in terms of preamp and converter i mean you really yeah. had to bear down to hear the differences and this was in a very high uh, uh, high resolution studio listening environment, et cetera. I mean, if there was big differences, you were going to hear it. Now the differences are there, but it was close between yeah. you know five, six of the con- biggest console manufacturers at the time. But as you started listening back through Mixbus, as you started to build mixes, you started to realize, wow, man, there's some there's some secret sauce going on right there. I, that's good. I mean, that's that's better than what I'm hearing over here. You know, just in yep. monitor. You know, just kind of listen. Okay, let me just throw some inputs together and listen to it. And you go, hmm. So <laughs> I, I guess long way, long way of saying there's b- significant differences in the way people build mix architecture in their mix engines. Yeah. Now, the cool part about it, I think, for Pro Tools is, man, I mean, that piece of hardware and that DSP, it's being used by the golden ears of the world, folks. I mean, it's used everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Right. Film, recording, et cetera. And if it was not making the grade, it wouldn't be working. Right. It wouldn't be working. So is there some validity, validity to say, yeah, the mix bus, the mixing architecture in, in Pro Tools HDX sounds great? Uh, you bet there is. There's a lot of evidence of that. Totally. Okay. There was one question you guys had on our notes that maybe we can, we can wrap with this for now. What happens with a crash in both a DAW and a live console? What's actually happening? Uh, Tony, you want to go first? Yeah. So the first one is what Robert spoke to about earlier, right? So the CPU in the S6L is designed, built, and has a redundancy aspect to it. When you look at the Pro Tools side, your weakest link usually would be the S6, but even then you'll have Pro Tools running and you'll have input and you'll be able to mix using a mouse. But in the worst case scenario, if your Mac crashes, then you're looking at two to three minutes until it boots back up and you have everything back up. So that is a dead dire and you don't want that. So it is not good <laughs> if it happens. This is not to say Pro Tools is not stable. It is one of the most stable DAWs on the planet. And just as Robert mentioned a moment ago, that's the reason why we have actually have it used in all the big stages and big studios in the world. But once again, is it built for real-time live broadcast? No. I mean, that's it. It's being used in that format in a lot of places it is you know and a lot of you know, churches you know the, the whole redundancy thing i i remember in the late 90s yeah late 90s we'll call it that where people were starting to use pro tools playback on stage right and you know having multiple outputs exiting the stage you know drum stems vocal stems horn stems guitar stems whatever so you know they those components became a pretty significant piece of the show that you were watching so they can't go away. 
right? How do we how do we do that redundantly? How do we have Pro Tools systems run redundantly? And I remember, I think Claire Brothers was the first uh, guys that I saw do this, where they were synchronizing two complete Pro Tools systems running, and literally had a turnkey mm-hmm. where you could choose the audio between this one and this one. They built a big audio actual analog audio switcher, yep. complete with relays, et cetera. You could pick one or the other, right? So that was a version of redundancy there. You know, I mean, pretty expensive, right? Two complete systems plus the switch network uh, to be able to address that. Uh, you know, we, I think I, it's actually one of the proudest things I, I can hang on my shoulders uh, when we were designing Venue. In the and conceiving it in the early days of that because it's one of the things that I think we did better than anybody else going uh, at the time, uh, and you know it was this idea because you know in the early days of digital live consoles everybody was skittish about crash everybody was just like Ooh, I don't know man right but you know we we made uh, made a concerted effort to come up with this concept of something being quote unquote crash proof and you know I. I Honestly, it sold more consoles for us, I think, than any other feature that we had in those early days of Venue. And it was this. I, I used to say this at presentations all the time, saying, look, I am not here to tell you that our console is never going to crash. I just will not say it. And I, I even used the catchphrase at the time, which was pretty powerful, saying, look, space shuttles blow up. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money you spend on them. Yeah. Sometimes they blow up. But what I can say to you is, yeah, our console may crash, but we have the best response to a crash of anybody on the market. Meaning when the console crashes, it's still passing audio. Yeah. Yeah. You so don't lose you can you can retain some basic control and continue to mix the event while the mix engine is rebooting. Which is basically not crashing. It, yeah. No, no one, one would, would know, know there's a crash yeah. unless they're looking over your shoulder and see the blue screen, right? Yeah. So, you know, there, there are ways to do it. And again, it, that kind of, you know, dovetails back to that concept I'm talking about of having something that is purpose-built for the environment and the, the workflow it's going to be working in, right? That, that's a perfect example of it. And we kind of have, we have that with S6L today where the Surface can shut down and reboot. It's still going to pass audio. You know? Yep. Yeah, actually, that happened to me. Um, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I was on a... Uh, I was mixing a big conference for a church in Miami uh, two summers ago, and the rental house, these consoles had just been through the summer festival circuit. and <laughs> They were tired. And not they cleaned. They were tired. You know, and w- they'd been outdoor for basically three months, and no one had ever cleaned these things, and they were not oh. taken care of. No console would have survived this, right? I mean, the faders are just caked full of dirt. There's dirt inside. I mean, it was terrible. Ugh. Well... Um, when I saw that, I, I told the production manager, we're going to be here for a week. I need another console here in case something happens to this one. I just don't feel good about it. Yeah. So he gets me a, another console and, um, it's parked and running simultaneously. I've got them in like mirrored mode and a bank of eight faders stopped working. The arena is full of people. And that's where, you know, the first eight faders on any custom layer, those are important. Those are important faders. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> well, it's never so, going to be the insignificant faders that fail. I mean, go on. That's that's right. not how this works. 
And here's how you know that this company doesn't take care of their gear. The tech working for them knew that he could hot swap that bank of eight faders and me not even worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So he had the, rehearsed this flow. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> so in the middle of the show, he, you know, pops off eight screws or whatever it is, swaps out those faders, and we just keep on trucking like nothing had ever happened. Right. Right. Crazy. You know, I, I, I remember doing a demo for uh, not to go down this rabbit hole too far, but I remember doing a demo for a big. I guess I can say who. No, I won't say who it was. Big Hollywood company. Okay, think of the biggest Hollywood companies out there uh, doing television shows, et cetera. That were thinking about using S6L, and we're doing the demo. And the guy is kind of simulating mixing live for the event, you know. And one of the we call them lovingly chiclets on the console, one of the little color buttons on the console, he noticed that in the middle of the console, those eight faders, one of the chiclets was broken. You know? Yeah. And uh, he goes, do you think, hey, can we fix that? I said, yeah. I walked over and grabbed a a screwdriver, (laughs) took the module out, unplugged it while he was working. (laughs) Yep. Fixed the switch, put the module back in, screwed it back in, readdressed, and he went back to work. And there, I, I mean, these are older guys. They've been doing audio for a long time. And there was just this beautiful moment of, what, what just happened here? Yeah. What do, w- wait a minute. What did we just see here? You know, I mean, they right. just didn't shut down the console, didn't do anything, just pulled the module out, fix it, put it back in. I mean, it was just a completely, they had to just completely rejigger their thinking about what would be possible for running audio on a television show now <laughs> that's live to air, you know. It was, yeah, it was an awesome crazy. moment. It was that's just great. an awesome moment. That's awesome. Okay, so to wrap this up, I'd love a one-minute conclusion from each of you on the topic. Should I and can you use a DAW to mix my live event? I'm not going first. No, <laughs> way. no freaking way. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, so let's start with, can you mix your live event on a DAW? Yes, absolutely. You can, you can, uh, without a doubt. I mean, the, the capabilities of it, uh, compared to day, today's digital consoles are so similar. You can do it, especially if you, ha- I, you know, whether you can mix with a mouse or you need a tactile surface, whatever works for you, whatever floats your boat. The question becomes then, should I? And that becomes a very different question. And then it's situational. What kind of I.O. demands do I have? What kind of redundancy is needed in place for the event? Is this an on-air event? And, you know, for uh, just for the definition of it, I consider church service on Sunday morning, regardless of whether it's being broadcast, as an on-air event. You can't have a technical disruption and shut the event down. Right. So it's got to work. It's got to work. Right. And we all know sometimes it doesn't, but that's the that's the the bar that you're gonna set. It's gotta work. Yeah, gotta be dependable, right? So can you? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. Should you? My answer is situational, totally situational. Tony? Yeah. Yeah. So I had to basically echo Robert. I agree. Uh can you mix it? Yes. And we already discussed, you know, a few use cases, some of them even very big use cases were Big shows are mixed in Pro Tools, but then it becomes subjective and situational, right? Why do you need to do that? Or do you need to do that? What what are the cons? What are the pros? So you need to evaluate what you're trying to achieve and then choose the right tool for that specific project. 
And at the end of the day, like I said, it depends on if you want to really you know if it's a touring or if it's an installation. And then once again, what the pros are, what the cons are, it is purely situational. I mean, I would hate to be the guy who made the ploy and said, we have to mix in a DAW. It's the only way I can get the sound that I want. Have the show fail technically and then have to answer the question, well, wait a minute, why are we using a DAW to mix the audio when there are products out there designed to do this? I mean, your answer better not be, well, there's this one plugin that we use (laughs) and that is the key to my sound. So wait a minute, we're going to put the entire show possibly at risk so that you can get the sound from this one plugin or this so one that, group of plugins. So that you can replace the drums. And and Robert, unfortunately, I think that's the case for most in our world. You think it's drum replacement? It is. It's a huge yeah. part of it. Yeah. That doesn't shock me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, my skin crawls when I hear it because it takes me right back to the 80s where I did so much drum replacement on recordings. All of my gray hair came from that decade. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't want to go there. I don't want to drum replace. I just don't want to do it. I would, I'll spend 10 hours to every one to get the drums to sound right, the microphone right, et cetera, to to use the actual drummer as opposed to doing drum replacement. Amen. My skin crawls. Well, I think you guys are right. This is not the last iteration of this conversation. <laughs> it's not over. Well, I thought we'd be able to just end no, it. Right there. It's just starting. Just I don't starting. hear any fat lady singing yet. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, there's a, there's a deep well of stuff and opinions and facts to mine. Um, so we're looking forward to the next time we get to do this. Cause I think you guys, I mean, <laughs> well, maybe we're not really looking forward to it that much, but it's an important conversation, and I, I hope that we've at least scratched the surface on just some good things to think about when you're trying to decide what to do. If you, if you can just kind of shred the absolutism about it, then then right. you've won the day. Yeah, here, absolutely. You know? There shouldn't be any absolutes. I, I mean, this is pro audio. I'm sorry. There, there are just not a whole lot of absolutes there. It is, as I've said for many, many years, it is just the management of trade-offs to, to get to the best option, you know? Well, those guys are pretty smart. Slightly. <laughs> but I, I am convinced that the debate is not over. But I think it's important for us to sort of keep it practical, too. It's like, for the overwhelming majority of churches, this is not what they need to be worried about. Yes, that's true. Don't you agree? I do. I Maybe. But... That last thing Robert said about if you're, I would hate to be the guy who went, we have to have this so that it can sound a certain way and then something go wrong and to go, why didn't we use the platform that it was created to do so that you could replace the drums and tune the vocal? Oh, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm not a fan of drum replacement live in real time anyway. It's like, yeah, get get your kit sounding better. Get get better mics. Get you know whatever it needs to do to to get a better performance. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm old. So I was just with a we were just with sorry a influential church, and I overheard a conversation about 
them not wanting their weekend to feel so polished and so perfect that it didn't come across as a live raw performance. Yeah. Like 24P for them was like, it looks too good. Let's go to 30. It doesn't feel live. So I think there's something to be said for audio too. Like, do you not think Saturday Night Live would go like leaps and bounds to make everything perfect? You know, when Coldplay came in, like it sounds live for a reason. So I don't, I'm not saying that to make an excuse why things don't, if they don't sound perfect, that there's a reason, but like there's something to it about it feeling a little raw and drum replacement is a really quick way for it to sound fake. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a difference between striving for excellence and striving for perfection. I mean, I think, yeah, we we're called to be as good as we can be and to execute things well and to do everything with our best effort and not you know not compromise and all those things but man as soon as we start chasing perfection it gets really dangerous because there is no there there right it's you're you're going to be chasing your tail for a long time especially if you work with volunteers and inexperienced people and what happens when the tools change? What happens when you have more IO needs? What happens, you know, any number of things can can impact these choices. Okay, so let's hear your 30 second conclusion, consoles or DAWs. You're talking to a small church considering it. You, you, get, you got one last sentence to tell them. Can you do it? Yes. Should you do it? No. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, in terms of resources and stewardship, I think maximizing the resources that you have to pour into your live in the room console environment and getting your band better trained and getting your operator better skilled is going to go a, a much longer way than pouring all this money into a DAW. Yep. I agree with that. And I would say it's not worth risking someone not being able to experience your service because something crashed even once a year. It's not worth it. There you go. I won't even have the sonic debate. We'll just leave it at reliability. There you go. Good deal. All right. Well, this is fun as always. They're always fun. Thank you guys for sticking with us. And um, we got to do this again. Next week, we'll do it again. Again, reminder to everybody, get your tickets for especially for the VIP seating and the after parties. Those are going fast. So if you're planning on coming to the MXU Live Tour, you're going to want to get those tickets before they're gone. So go to mxu.rocks and you can find all the information about all the ticket types. And we can't wait to see you in person later this year. Hasta la vista. (laughs) We begin and end in Spanish. (laughs) I love it.